morning, Grace Bible Church. Wow, so good to see this room filled. I was here a couple of weeks ago with Steve, and he showed me around, and he's so thrilled about what God has been doing here over the last few years, and it's exciting. If you're here new since Steve has been here in the last 10 years, would you just slip your hand up so we can see the works of the Lord in this place? How great. Let's rejoice uh, together in the Lord's faithfulness in the life of this church and in your life individually. I'm going to ask you before I pray to turn to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. And as you're turning there, just with a heart of gratitude to be here with you, to share in God's word, I'm just going to ask the Lord to help me and to help you, me as I speak the word, you as you hear the word, that in both cases the word would have its transforming effect In our hearts. Let's pray. Your word calls us beloved brethren. And you tell us Lord that we must be quick to hear. Slow to speak. And slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And since the context of that verse is in the hearing of the word of God, we pray that we would, in fact, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We ask that you would show us things about you in your holiness, things about us in our sinfulness, that would cause us to fall down before you, praising you for the mercy in Christ and asking you for help in this fight with pride. It's a battle we all face. It's a serious one. We ask that you would give us strength and help in time of need. Open our eyes. Soften our hearts. Guide us into your truth this morning for your glory, for our good, and for the edification of the whole church, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let me ask a question. Have you ever wondered about pride? Have you ever wondered why pride is so easy to see in other people, and yet so hard to detect in yourself? I know I'm expert at pointing out other people's problems and weaknesses and sin, but find it so difficult to get past my own self-righteousness. I think if we're honest, we would say, hey, let's face it. We as people are prideful creatures. And And pride is not always blatant and obvious. Consider a Facebook post I read a few weeks ago, and I quote, I have screwed up as a man, as a dad, as a son, as a husband, as a friend, simply because I don't always say or do the right things. I have scars because I have a history. Some people love me. Some people like me. Some people might hate me. I've done good in my life. I've done bad in my life. I will not pretend to be someone I'm not. I am who I am. You can love me or hate me. I am me. And I will not change it for the world. He then at the bottom put, if you agree, I dare you to put a picture of yourself on your page and say, if you are proud to be who you are. Now, I think there are many who would read that and come away thinking, wow, so brave, so bold, so fearless, so unashamed to be his authentic self. While there be a minority of people who have come in contact, particularly with the God-man, Christ Jesus, who would be appalled at the rank arrogance of such words. 
Of course, in those words, we see regret, we see sadness, we see mistake, but we don't see apology, and we certainly don't see repentance. And so God would say, that heart I resist. Worse, that heart I hate. See Proverbs 6, verses 16 and 17. But friend, you and I, this morning, because of this reality called sin, find ourselves in a culture awash with the kind of thinking and speaking that I just read. We're told, be yourself, be you, be true to who you are. Can I get a witness? Carl Truman was right. This is our age. It is the age of the rise and triumph of the modern self. Swindoll, in his Philippian commentary years ago, decades ago, said, educators tell us to expand yourself. Psychology says, assert yourself. Humanistic leaders say, believe in yourself. The prideful human spirit says, promote yourself. And then Christ, he says, humble yourself. When we see the beauty and glory of the humble Christ who left the splendor of heaven, the worship of angels, and tabernacled among us, born with farm animals and livestock and coming into the poverty and the rejection of this world, we see in him the most lovely sight a sinner can ever see. We see the absence of pride. We see a full devotion to the glory of the Father. We see humility himself. And we stand in awe. We, in fact, fall down and worship the Son who condescended to take on flesh, to bring wretched, prideful sinners to a place of forgiveness through his blood and resurrection, that they might forever praise and magnify and triumph in the grace of God that rescued their pride. If you're a Christian, you have faced yourself. You have come to that place where you said, oh, wretched person that I am, whether you're a man or a woman this morning. And you have found your deliverance in the Savior, Jesus. You have cried to him and said, Who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. His call to take up your cross daily, to deny yourself, and to follow him, present active indicative, continually for the rest of your life, you have heeded. Luke 9, 23 and 24. In fact, you've also are willing to Lay aside your rights to your life, to your possessions, and to your, your familial expectations, whether for your spouse or your children or a future spouse or future children. You, you, you give up the right you, to have your rights. And you're humbled by a God who would turn his face to you and not his back because he sent his son for you to bring you to him. Aren't you thankful for what God has done. Aren't you thankful that you can see past the lie of being your authentic self, the lie of following your own heart, the lie of being the best you you can be? I don't know about you, but I'm sure you're glad to be crucified with Christ, right? To no longer live out the self, but to live crucified with him that his spirit and new life may be at work in you as he is perfecting you and conforming you into the image of the perfect man, Christ our Lord. If you're saved, you've died to yourself. And so as a Christian, since you've died to yourself once for all at salvation, and are called to continually die to yourself, you recognize that yourself gets in the way of you. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, (laughs) every time you stumble, you know, you're not stumbling over someone else. You're stumbling over you. 
You're, you're getting in your own, own way, just as I am getting in my own way. So this morning, we are going to tackle this subject of pride, beginning in Isaiah 14, where we're going to see powerful principles that will help us not only to detect pride, but to build humility, that we might imitate Christ, please God, even glorify Him, and maybe even save our own lives. Since pride goes before destruction. Well, before we embark on Isaiah 14, looking at the source of pride, I want to remind you that pride is no small subject in the Bible. The word pride or proud is translated in the NAS about about 100 times. Humble, humility, humiliated, or humbled roughly another 100 times. So we're looking at a subject that occurs frequently. At least 200 times we find things related to pride and humility. For example, look in the topical reference Bible, you'll find the proud heart, proud thoughts, the proud eye, the proud look, proud speech. You'll find pride in one's nation. Uh, we'll find political pride like that of Nebuchadnezzar and Balaam and also even pride in the disciples of Jesus. Big shocker there, right? Remember James and John? We want first and second. We want you to do for us whatever we want. Put us in the best seats in your kingdom. Yeah, we're going to find pride, and we're going to learn it hardest of all in ourselves. Well, this morning, we're just going to cover a few, just what I call the deadly D's of pride, the deadly D's of pride. So if you're taking notes, you want to write and note these deadly deeds of pride. The first answer is the question, where does pride come from? Pride is demonic in origin. Your answer, pride is demonic in origin. That's point one. Demonic. Second, we want to know, How does one define pride? Secondly, pride is defined by self-will. It's defined by self-will. It's demonic in its origin. It's defined by self-will. Thirdly, what, what drives pride or how does pride operate? Our answer in point three is this. Pride is driven by self-love. It is driven by self-love. Pride is demonic in origin. Pride is defined by self-will. Pride is driven by self-love. And fourthly this morning, how serious is pride? Pride, fourthly, is dangerous. Dangerous in its influence. Pride is dangerous in its influence. Well, how does God feel about it? Pride, fifthly, is detestable to God. Pride is detestable to God. How serious is it? It's dangerous. Point four. How does God feel about it? He detests it. It's detestable. Point five. And then lastly, why is it so hard to find pride in my life? Why is it so much easier to see it in other people than in myself? And here's your answer. Principle six. Pride is deceitful in nature. Pride is deceitful in nature. This morning, you're going to learn pride is demonic in origin. Pride is defined by self-will. Pride is driven by self-love. Pride is dangerous in its influence. Pride is detestable to God. And pride is deceitful in nature. We say, boy, boy, pastor, is there any hope for me in my fight with pride? Yes, at the end, I'm going to show you how you can deal with pride. In fact, eight ways to deal with the power of pride in your life so that it can have a diminishing influence on the rest of your life. Are you ready? Buckle up. We're going to go through the word of God. Number one, where does pride come from? Answer, pride is demonic in origin. Pride originates in the chief demon himself. It is your adversary, Satan, who opposes you, your accuser, the devil, who condemns you, the liar, the great deceiver, who seeks to con you. It is from him, the chief demon, also known as Lucifer, that pride originated. If you look with me in your Bibles in Isaiah 14, what we're looking at is a passage describing the king of Babylon. Not only do I think there's an allusion here to Antichrist, far future, who will rule over Babylon, there is a very obvious allusion here to the chief of all 
bad rulers, the devil himself. Notice how the text tells us he fell. Verse 12, how you have fallen, notice, from heaven. So this couldn't be just the earthly Babylonian king. It has to be a heavenly being. You have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. That speaks of his brightness uh, and his uh, splendor. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. So this prideful being fell from heaven. And verse 13 and 14 tell us how he fell. Notice his attitude. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Shocking. Shocking pride. Not only was the king of Babylon that tyrannical ruler, that oppressor, to be brought down. But this describes the fall of the great angel, the one who was above all principality, power, might, and dominion at one time, the one who is next in line to the throne, you could say, never to take over the throne, but in closest proximity to the throne. But one step away from God wasn't enough for him. In his pride, he had to be God. And so the tragedy of the universe in which, as we now know it, is simply this. What happens when someone tries to be God? That's the answer for sin. That's the answer for corruption. That's where it all originates from. So pride, far from something we should celebrate and assert and be proud of, pride is demonic in origin. It's not only the means by which the devil uh, or Lucifer, that star of the morning, that bright one, the cherub that covered fell. It is also how Eve fell. See, Satan has no new tricks. He knew he fell because of pride. And so he tried to use pride to get the race to fall, and he was successful. What did he say to Eve in Genesis 3, verse 5? He said, oh, that tree, if you eat of it, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So pride was not just the root cause of Satan's fall. It's the root cause of our fall. It's chilling, isn't it? To consider that anytime we walk in self-will, anytime we turn in on ourselves and fail to give God glory, we are acting no different than Adam and Eve. And worse, we're acting no different from the devil himself. Now, you would rightly say, well, pastor, I'm not consciously thinking, I think I'll be God today. I'll dethrone God in my life today. Of course, you wouldn't consciously consider such an abhorrent blasphemy. But functionally, you and I both know we can conduct ourselves as though we are in charge of our little world, our day planner, our calendar, our life. Everything you and I do, now you might want to write this down because this is a shocking statement. Everything I and you do is either going to be following after the I wills of Satan or the thy wills of Christ. The I wills of Satan or the thy wills, old King James language, sorry, thy wills of Christ. Because every time we see Christ following his father, it is thy will be done on earth as he taught us to pray thy will. Be done. So pride was the cause of the fall of Lucifer, and it is the cause of the fall of Eve, and it is the cause of every stumble and every fall that you and I manage to get tripped up in in this life. It's demonic in origin. Second, how do we? Pride is is what? I mean, what is it? How, How would you define it? Well, it's not just demonic as to its origin. It is defined really by self will. It's the spirit that says, I want what I want. And I'll get it. You can see the five I will statements there in verses 13 and 14. I will, I will, I will. Verse 14, I will, I will. Five times. 
There you see a dominant disposition, a defiance against higher authority. We see one wanting his own will in his own way, come what may. Now, did you know that being born into Adam's race, it says, by one man sin entered into the world, Romans 5.12, and death's through sin, for all have sinned. We are sinners, right? We are born in iniquity and in sin. Our mother conceived us. That means that how our mother acted in the garden is how you and I acted from the moment we took our first breath. Isaiah describes sin as to its nature as just going astray, going its own way. Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have what? Gone astray, each one to his own way. Paul said to the Philippian church that they, that all seek their own rather, not the things that are of Christ Jesus, Philippians 2, 21. Paul put it comprehensively in Romans 3, leaving no exceptions to this when he said there is none, what? Righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. All have what? Turned aside. Just try giving a a two-year-old a bath in preparation for church and see if you will not discover the willfulness. You've heard that statement, right? My, My child is so willful. Well, something to it there's something to it there you mean your child might be prideful just like you and just like me my pastor friend was trying to comfort me as a father of young children he said you know if if you were in their body their age with their limited abilities you'd be doing the exact same thing that they're doing screaming and yelling etc the the will the will the will is gone its own way james smith says by nature every man is nothing but a mass of selfishness Ooh. That hurts. We're naturally selfish, seeking our own health, he says, our own wealth, our own gratification, our own grand end. Selfishness clings to us. Is there any hope? That is the question. I know that it's the beginning of the year, and I don't want this to be a downer for you, but I do want you to understand there is great hope because your master and Lord, your teacher, your example said this, my food, what satisfies me, is doing the will of my Father. John 4, 34. He even said in John 5, 30, I do not seek my own will. In John 8, 29, he said, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So as you look to Christ, you find the one who is not defined by self-will, but who's actually living for the glory of and will of another. That is the road to freedom. Think about it. When Jesus said, come after me, follow me. And then Luke 14, he qualifies it by saying, if to give up your rights to, to, to family relationships, your right to your independent use of your possessions, your right to your own life. He was actually liberating us. He was giving us freedom from the shackles of self-will into the liberty of the children of God who are free through forgiveness and the Holy Spirit to follow what they were created for, and that is the will of another, the will of God. I think we're, if we're honest, we sometimes struggle to pray, your will be done. Because in our pride, we wrestle with that. We, 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 we feel like we have a pretty good plan. I mean, we're, we're, we're careful, we're, we're conscientious, we've thought things through, and we are laying out what we think is best in our relationships or at work, or in in marriage, or in church ministry. But at the end of the day, at the end of it all, do we not come before a God who does what he pleases in heaven, on earth, in the sea, and for all creatures that dwell in those places, of course. And so we need to Teach us, Lord, to pray your will be done. Teach us to mean that prayer, to trust your wisdom, your goodness, your love, that Jesus, in following the will of the Father in the power of the Spirit, provided for us the model on how we're to live humbly with our God. Micah 6 eight. So pride is demonic in origin. Pride is defined by self-will. 
Thirdly, if you're taking notes, pride is driven by self-love. It is driven by self-love. Aren't we told all the time that we need to embrace oneself? We need to love ourselves. This is foreign to the word of God. The reason is we already do that. We already are thinking and consumed with our own well-being. That's why husbands are not commanded to love themselves. They're commanded to love their wives even in the same way that they already love themselves. Right, husbands? We already do a good job taking care of self. God wants us to think about another. So pride then is driven by self-will. You know why Satan uh, lost his place in heaven. It was self-love. He wanted his own glory and didn't want to share any glory with God. You know why Cain killed his brother. It was for self-love. His brother offered a more acceptable sacrifice than he because he offered it by faith. And because his brother had favor with God and he didn't, he couldn't stand his brother Abel for that. And so he decided to kill him. Self-will for self-glory. That's why Joseph's 11 brothers sold him as a slave. Why would they do that? How could you sell your own flesh and blood into slavery? Simple, self-love. They couldn't bear the the dreams of of their younger brother, Joseph, because in all of his dreams, which were from God, by the way, Joseph was on top and they were basically groveling at his feet. They were subordinate to him. And so they couldn't see themselves lower than or higher. I'm sorry. They couldn't see themselves lower than little brother. They decided to get rid of little brother out of self-love. Here's a real strong one, a real satanic figure in the Bible. How about Herod? How about Herod the Great? Why would he murder 50,000 Bethlehemite babies? Why would he do that? Except for self-love. He loved his own glory as a king and wouldn't share it with a Jewish king, Messiah. He would not share power. This is all over the Bible. We can see it everywhere. Pride is defined by self-will, and it's driven by self-love. One writer in his little book, Humility, said, Pride takes innumerable forms, but it has only one end, self-glorification. Self-glorification. Pride is, and always will be, contending with God. And then we ask, is there any hope? Is there any hope? Well, Jesus lived among us as God, deserving of glory, deserving of praise, deserving uh, his own will in a sense because he was perfectly wise and shared that wisdom perfectly with the Father. But what we see is such a beautiful, perfect display of humility, particularly in that he loved God with all of his being. He's the only human being that's ever done that. He loved the Father wholly. In fact, he didn't sneak around to, to steal glory from the Father like the scribes and the Pharisees in his day did. Instead, he sought to ascribe glory to the Father. John seven eighteen differentiates him from all glory seekers. He says this, John does, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true and there is no unrighteousness in him. He's saying Jesus is completely trustworthy because Jesus never sought his own will for his own glory. Jesus is humility himself. And if you and I are going to learn how to walk humbly with God, we must remember our lowly Christ. I don't know about you, but ministry is hard. Ministry is demanding. Ministry is tiring. And you know, when you put in a lot of work for the Lord. There's a part of you that really looks for some, even if it's just a small bit of recognition. We all want a little recognition, right? I think we should be encouraging one another and saying thank you to one another. The Bible, Paul did that for all the servants that he worked with. Those are good things. But isn't there something deep down within us that itches for that, not so much for the glory of God, but for ourselves? What if nobody thanked you anymore? What if nobody recognized you from the front anymore? 
What if your name wasn't written anywhere anymore? Would you still do the things? Would I still do the things? And I'll be honest, in the last few months as I've been searching the scriptures, I have to say, I really like those things. But I realize what I like in them is not coming from a good source. It is my pride. Pride is demonic in origin, defined by self-will, driven by self-love. So why is it so dangerous? Why is it so sinister or dangerous in influence, point four? Why is pride so dangerous in influence? It is because it's the opposite of, of the love that God calls us to have. Jonathan Edwards was right in expositing 1 Corinthians 13. He says that Christian love, agape love, self-giving, self-sacrificial love is the first virtue and it is the fountain from which all virtues follow. When we love God unconditionally and love our neighbor as ourselves. Well, pride is the reverse. Pride is the exact opposite. It's not just the first sin. It is also the fountain for all other sins. Are you aware of that? It's, it's dangerous because it's, it, 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 it causes a deadly spread. Think, think about, for example, cancer cells in your body. We all, we all have them. What makes cancer cells deadly is that cancer cells can spread. And if they spread too far and too wide, they will take your life away. Well, pride in a spiritual way works very similar. If left to itself, if it, if it is not mortified or put to death, it has spreading power and it will dangerously have a deadly influence on your spiritual life. Pride never remains alone. It always gives birth, or at least gives rise to, is a better way to say it, the rest of the seeds of sin that are already resident within you as a child of God. Do you realize every time you stumble into sin, pride is hidden behind that sin every single time? I look at it as the rain and sunlight, which, when falling on the soil of your heart, helps the seeds of all other sins planted within you already to spring forth. J.C. Wire was right. He said, we need no bad companions to teach us, no devil to tempt us to run into sin. We have within us the beginning of every sin under heaven. And what causes those sins to come to life? It is pride. I'm going to show you this from Scripture. Go to Mark chapter 7. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus tells us what we really are. And when we see this, we realize, wow. I should not embrace myself, love myself, follow myself, trust myself. I should, I should die to myself and follow Christ. Because here in Mark 7, Jesus tells us the true source of our defilement. And he tells us it's not from our past. It's not from uh, the fact that uh, we were mistreated as a child or we didn't have all the advantages or opportunities that others had that we didn't. It's not from a, a, a bad uh, government or bad church experience, or anything else. In fact, he tells us the source of our defilement is we ourselves. We ourselves. Notice what the text says in Jesus helping the religious people of his day understand the source of true defilement is not from eating unclean foods. It's from having an unclean heart. Notice verse 20. He was saying that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts. Look at this list. Evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. In this list... This is, this is earth-shattering if you've never learned this. Perhaps you're outside of Christ today and you've been coming to church and you think you're okay and you think you're a pretty good guy or a pretty good gal. Well, this is you. This isn't talking about Hitler or Hussein or Osama bin Laden. This is you and me. This is every human being. This is what your DNA consists of. This is what your heart really looks like before the Lord. Jesus is saying that this is sinners. They have evil thoughts, and those evil thoughts lead to 
these evil acts and immoral vices. Here's why pride is so dangerous. Because if you notice in this list, what do we start with? Evil thoughts. That means self-talk. Self-talk. It's you talking to yourself, usually about yourself. Everything in your world begins and ends with you in your natural state. That's the way we're wired, okay? So it starts with self-talk, which remember, there's, and then it ends with those two nasty, ugly things, pride and foolishness. Pride here is arrogance, boasting that borders on insolence, and then foolishness is another word for pride. It's, uh, it means utter insensitivity to God, no desire to know God or follow him. It is a, a reckless, immoral rebellion. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Evil thoughts to start the list and then pride and foolishness to end the list. And in between, all these other sins. And I think Jesus here, I mean, ask yourself, can, can I commit any of those sins? Can I murder someone and be humble about it? Can I commit adultery with someone while walking humbly with God? Can I slander someone unjustly while walking in the light as he is in the light? Can I envy somebody else's privileges or advantages or achievements or blessings while maintaining a humble walk with God? You would say, of course not. And so you see clearly pride bookends these these things the inner life is revealed here and these other sins manifest. Do you realize if you've ever committed any of the list of sins, whether it be fornication, thefts, murders, adulteries, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, any of that, in that moment, you had let pride run away with you. You had not curbed it. You had not... not dealt with it. For example, let me give you one or two examples. The person who is envious, the person who is envious of other people, they cannot celebrate their victories. They cannot share in their joys. They cannot honor them when they're honored. In fact, they despise them. They resent them. Why is that? Because inside of them, their pride has deceived them to think that no one deserves to have more than me. No one deserves to have something I don't or can't have. It's pride that gives rise Therefore, to envy. There is any one of the lists. You go through them and you will see that pride is the beginning of it all. If you've ever stolen time or, or uh, played solitaire or Facebook or checked your fantasy football while on the boss's time and you thought, oh, it's no big deal. You've stolen from your employer and you've justified it simply because your pride has convinced you that you are more important than your boss. And so that's how pride works. It's, it's a sinister thing and we all have to deal with it. We all have to deal with it. So how do we, how do we detect it? How do we uh, deal with it? Is there any hope for us? We know it comes from uh, demons. We know it's defined by self-will. We know it's driven by self-glory. We know it's dangerous because of its spreading power. And we know that God detests it. We know that. He hates it in, in wherever he sees it. In fact, the, the wicked who are not cleansed of this pride, who have not come to Christ and said, have mercy on me, a prideful, sinful person, I need Jesus and his righteousness. That person will face the retribution of the Lord, which he will pour out on all the proud in this world. The day of the Lord is coming, where the pride of man will be humbled, Isaiah 2.17, and the loftiness of man will be abased, and the Lord alone exalted on that day. We know God will deal with every proud evildoer. And if you, you and I, because he detested, if you and I as believers are, are walking in this, he's careful to discipline us. He's not only going to uh, damn the wicked, he is going to discipline his people. Every time I've been disciplined at the root of it, I've walked in pride. I've stumbled. I've gotten off the way. I've 
gotten in the way of the will of God. Peter did, right? The Lord allowed him to. Do you remember Peter's boast? I will die with you. Do you remember that? I'll die with you. And then when Jesus was taken in, what did Peter do? I denied you. I denied you not once, not twice, but three times. Oh, aren't you amazed that God was so merciful to Peter as he is to you and I. Say, Lord, have mercy on me. Forgive me where I've pride. You may look back over your life and say, man, I've, I've messed up things many a time. I have failed many times. I'm, I've been so wrong so many times. Now I see. Now I see what, what was wrong was that I was looking to me instead of to the Lord. So what pride then, of course, detestable to God, he will damn the wicked for it. He will also discipline the righteous for it. But he will also help you to detect it. He will help you to detect it. Why is pride so hide, hard to find? Why does it hide so well? It's because it's deceitful by nature. Deceitful by nature, point six. And I need to go really quickly if you can bear with me here. Deceitful by nature. Okay, Obadiah 1.3 tells us of Edom, that prideful city that was perched up on the top of a cliff there. The, the citizens of Edom thought they were impregnable. The word of God says that the pride of your heart has deceived you. The pride of your heart has deceived you. Obadiah chapter 1 verse 3. You who live in the clefts of the rock and the loftiness of your dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to earth? Though you build high like the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. You see, Edom didn't realize that they were vulnerable. Even though they had the high ground and strategic advantage in a, in a, a ground war, history tells us one of their watchmen dropped his helmet and when he went down to retrieve it, he was spotted by the enemy. And then the enemy soldiers followed him back up and took the city. But Edom was blinded by its pride, thinking it was impregnable. And that's the way it is for us. We think we are not what we really are. Our pride hides so well. It camouflages itself so well that for us it's so easy to see a thousand sins in everyone else and so difficult to find even one to repent or take to ourselves in repentance you know this is what jesus was getting at in his i think comedic illustration in the sermon on the mount remember matthew 7 where he said don't judge lest you be judged for in the way you judge you will be judged Right? He says, why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, here, let me help you take that speck out of your eye. And behold, he says, the log is in your own eye. Ooh, and then the scathing words. He says, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then watch this. You will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Why is pride so so well hidden it's because in our corruption in this redeeming flesh our corruption distorts our perception we can't see clearly because of the sins that blind us and that's what jesus was getting at he's saying let the word of god let my teaching show you your unrighteousness deal with your unrighteousness repent of it and then you'll see clearly and you'll in humility be able to help others too often we can be like that Pharisee, right, who came to the temple and said, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. You may not have said that, but you've thought it. You've probably thought it 10,000 times. I'm so glad I'm not like he is. I'm so glad I'm not like she is. I'm so thankful that that's not me right now. We've all thought that way. We've all imagined ourselves far better than we are and others far worse. Jesus is training us as spirit led people under the word of God as citizens of the kingdom to think the very opposite to actually think that their sin is a speck and ours is a log that theirs is small compared to ours which is so dominating in our lives but pride would deceive us into think they have the problem and I'm okay 
Okay, when Luther was asked, are you afraid of the Pope? You know what he said? He said, I'm afraid of my own heart more than that of the Pope and all the cardinals. I have within me the great Pope self. Now there's a guy who gets it. There's a guy who understands, who has been taught by the Spirit. So easy to get offended. Well, let me ask you this. If pride is blinding, are you okay with others pointing out your blind spot? If pride is blinding, it means that you're not able to see it readily. So there will be some things that the Word of God will show you by the ministry of the Spirit. There will be other things that he's brought other people into your life. You say, uh, Pastor, I really like being taught by the Bible much more than I like being taught by other people. Well, what do you think? Where do you think that thought is coming from? My friend tells me people really like being taught by providence. They do not like being taught by other people. Well, friend, listen, I have blind spots and I have learned. Oh, it's taken me 20 years. I confess. I have learned to value my wife being able to speak to the blind spots in my life. You know what blind spots are? Those are simply the places and crevices of your life where your pride has blinded you. We talk about idiosyncrasies, right? Little quirks about us that other people may find annoying. Idio means self, right? Well, how about this? How about the idiosins in me? Those are the little sins in our life that wreck and ruin our relationship that we don't even see or recognize or detect are there. Here's a question for, for you to put in your bank if you want to grow in humility. It's this question. Ask the people closest to you this question. How do you experience me? How do you experience? Be honest. How do you experience me? Now, I wouldn't ask a complete stranger that, but those who know me best and are closest to me, that's a great question to ask because that invites them to be able to share what aspects of their relationship to you are not helpful but are actually hurting them and hurting the relationship between you. And I'm being honest, it's taken a long time for me to stand here and say that kind of thing. Because there have been times when I'm, I'm criticized and I shut down. I'm criticized and I emotionally withdraw. I'm criticized and I have a thousand reasons why what I did, said, and am is okay and even right. And I'll prove it. But don't you know, I'm learning that there's a way that seems right to a man, but the way is that of destruction. All a man's ways are right in his own eyes, but the Lord tests the heart. All our ways lie open before the Lord. If pride is blinding, then I need the Holy Spirit through the word to enlighten me, and I need the people around me to be honest with me, and I need to be gentle and patient so that whether they're a spouse, a child, a friend, or a ministry associate, they have a degree of comfortability in being able to come to me to talk to me about how they experience me. That makes sense? I've been touchy in my life. I've been defensive in my life. I've been easily offended in my life. I'm learning in every place that I am easily offended. It's because there is some pride in me that's been touched. And I don't like it. And I want to defend my pride at any cost. Okay, you understand what I'm telling you. I'm just being honest with you and help you to see that this is the reality. Pride blinds. Pride hides. And so we need the lamp of the word, the enlightenment of the spirit. There's another word on that. You know, when you come to the Bible, the most often heard prayer that I've heard in reformed churches like this, when it comes to the hearing of the word of God, is Psalm 119, 18. Lord, open now mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. That's what we want to do. We want to see the wondrous things, and we should. But you know a prayer that's almost never prayed is James 1, the one I prayed this morning. Lord, let me be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to what? Anger. Now, I know some of you are, are this is, you're getting hit hard, I understand, but I, I prayed that God would help you not to be angry, but that you would receive what God is saying, and that God would work to help you to walk humbly with your God. So how, here's the ways I'm going to help. Let's deal with this in just a few, few ways. Number one, remember the humility of Christ. Jesus said, learn of me. I'm meek and lowly of heart. You can deal with pride, but you must look to your humble Savior. 
He didn't seek his own will, but the will of him who sent him. He, he, at the end of his life, said, Father, I've glorified you on the earth. I finished the work that you have called me to do. It was all about you and your work, your will for your glory. He never pleased himself, sought his own ease, was the servant of all and the friend to many. Second, redirect your boast. Redirect your boast. Don't boast in appearance. Anyone can do that. Anyone can boast in how smart they are, how strong they are, how well off they are, how attractive they are. Anyone can look for recognition in those places. But it takes a humble person to recognize that nothing that we have is really hot stuff. Everything we have is broken by sin and anything good in us is actually not us. It is the work of the Spirit of God in our lives to transform us to Christ. And so our boast should be in Him. So reverse your boast. Paul says in Romans 15, 16, I'm a minister of Christ. And he said in verse 17, Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Reverse your boast. Boast in God, not in yourself. And wherever there's sin, wherever it is, repent of it. Repent of all known sin. Remember the humble Christ, reverse your boast, and repent of all known sin. If you find yourself getting involved in petty quarreling, which is something Jesus never got involved in, but I've found in my life sometimes I can get involved in petty quarreling. James 4, 1 through 3. Just confess that. Humble people don't really quarrel that much. They're very easy to get along with. Maybe you've planned this year and you've got it all lined up, but you've already had some things cancel on you and you've, you've copped an attitude. Maybe you've been angry or just down in the dumps, maybe even grumbled and complained. Well, just repent of that. We've got to commit our todays and tomorrows to the Lord. If the Lord wills, we'll live and do this or that. James says, but now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Let's not do that. Wherever we are, let us not complain. Let us not quarrel let us be people who see our sin and repent of it so remember the humble christ reverse your boast boast in god not in yourself three repent of all known sin here's here's one submit to all spiritual authority gladly this is a hard one but first peter 5 5 6 and 7 first peter 5 5 6 and 7 speaks to young men in particular remember heard, hearing a man tell me i don't heard well i don't heard well and what he, was, what he was saying was he's his own man. He does his own thing. And that's really in the heart of everyone, some more than others, but none are quite so bold as to admit that. I don't herd well. Great statement. But the young and the arrogant in particular, young men are told, young men, be submissive to your elders. That's a passive position. Submit to them, for they keep watch over your soul. So submit to all spiritual authority, even government authority, even when you don't agree. Submit, here's another one, five, serve. Serve anyone. Serve anyone willingly. When Peter 5, 6, 1 Peter 5, 6 says, be clothed with humility, that word clothe is specific. It actually is a clothing that's tied on. It speaks of a towel or an apron. That's how it's used in John 13, where Jesus tied this towel around him, poured some water, washed his disciples' feet, and wiped them with the towel with which he was girded or with which he was tied. Serve. Serve others. It's good for your soul. It's good for your pride. It's great for building humility if you do it in imitation of Christ and for the glory of God, not to be seen by others. Sixth, pray. Pray about everything. Prayer shows your dependency as a creature upon the Creator. Prayer says, I am not God. I need God. So putting it all together, Peter says, Likewise, you younger people, be submissive to your elders. Yes, all of you, be clothed with humility, for God gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, casting all your cares on him, for he cares for you. There it is. Submit, serve, and pray. And here's another. Give thanks. Give thanks. What have you thanked the Lord for? See, thankfulness says, all that I am and all that I have, I don't owe to me. I owe to the one who gave these things to me. It acknowledges every good gift is from above. We're not superior. What do we have that we have not received? 
A man can receive nothing except to be given him from above. So thankfulness acknowledges that, and it is the expression of humility. Confess all known sin, submit, serve, pray, give thanks, and lastly, humble your soul with fasting. This is one that's fallen on hard times in the West, but just as you should give and just as you should pray, you should also fast. This should be part of your life. You don't need to be in a national crisis or uh, facing a a big life change uh, like those coming out of exile in Ezra 8, verse 21. You may just be dealing with a particular sin. You may be dealing with some aspect of pride. Why not fast and humble your soul? Isaiah 58, 3 and verse 5 put fasting as synonymous with humility. It is an act of humility. It is an act to bring yourself low and to show your total dependence upon another, namely your God. So if you remember the Lord, redirect your boasts, repent of all sins, submit to authority, serve willingly, pray about everything, give thanks for all things, and even fast as the Lord will lead you, you will see victory in your life over pride. Yes, sin shall not be master over you, for you're not under the law but under grace. Will you have permanent victory in this life? Well, you know better than that, right? Pride will continue to be the battle you and I face to the last breath that we have. I'm going to pray a bold prayer. Lord, reveal to me my pride. Show it to me in every form in every kind, and to every degree. Every form, every kind, and every degree. That's not unique to me. That's Andrew Murray in his book on humility. He encourages readers to pray that prayer every day for 30 days. And as one who has done that, I can tell you, God showed me more of what I really am in those 30 days than at any other season in my entire 20 or so year walk with the Lord. I'll say it again. Lord, reveal my pride in every form, every kind, and every degree. Show me. Teach me that it is demonic in origin. Teach me that it's defined by self-will. Teach me that it's driven by self-love. Teach me that it's dangerous because it has spreading power. Teach me that it's detestable to you. Teach me that it is deceitful by nature Teach me how to deal with it on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis so that I might please you, enjoy you, be good to others, enjoy them in relationship, and not get in my own way as I so easily have. As we go... There's one final piece called That is Dying to Self. And it is the best, most concise summary, and I'll paraphrase it to modern English so you understand it, of what we've been talking about this entire time. And I would encourage you to look it up, print it out, think about it, and, re- and pray it back to the Lord over the next 30 days. Along with this prayer, Lord, reveal my pride in every form, every kind, and every degree for your glory. Here it is. When you are forgotten, neglected, or purposely set aside, and you don't sting or hurt with the oversight, but your heart is happy, being counted worthy to suffer for Christ, that is dying to self. When your good is evil spoken of, when your wishes are crossed, your advice disregarded, your opinion ridiculed, and you refuse to let anger rise in your heart and even defend yourself, but take it all in patient, loving silence, that is dying to self. And when you lovingly and patiently bear any disorder, any irregularity, any annoyance, when you stand face to face with waste and extravagance and spiritual insensibility and endure it as Jesus did, that is dying to self. When you are content with any food, any salary, any clothing, any climate, any society, any solitude, any interruption by the will of God, that is dying to self. When you never care to refer to yourself in conversation or your own good works or itch after commendation, when you can truly love to be unknown, that is dying to self. 
And when you can see your brother prosper and have his needs met and can honestly rejoice with him in spirit and feel no envy nor question God while your own needs are far greater and you're in desperate circumstances, that is dying to self. When you can receive correction and reproof from one of less stature than yourself and can humbly submit inwardly as well as outwardly, finding no rebellion or resentment rising up within your heart, that is dying to self. Now, what a far cry that is than the one who says, I am what I am, I am me, and I wouldn't change it for the world. The difference is eternal. Let's pray. May we be these people who know that they're creatures so prone to pride, yet who have been redeemed by the humble Redeemer who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for a, peop- a people for himself, zealous for good deeds. May we be those people in imitation of Christ, in the power of the Spirit, not for our glory, but for yours, not by our ability, but by the Spirit working in us. May you work humility and build humility in the leaders as well as the members of this awesome church. We lay ourselves before you. Thank you for splitting us open and showing us what we are. Mark 7, 20 through 23. May we walk in the thy wills of Jesus and not the I wills of the enemy. In Jesus' precious name we pray this, and for his sake, all God's people said, Amen.